You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today we'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hi DPC, Uh, I've got to say I'm really looking forward to being back in person uh, next week, finally. Uh, it'd be great not to be preaching to a computer. Uh, in fact, on the note of, of computers, my computer was messing up a little bit this week. So uh, big thanks to the Humphreys family who've let me invade their dining room for this week to record my sermon for today. Uh, hence, don't have my usual plants in the background. Uh, if you uh, would uh, like to follow along, it'd be great if you could have your Bible open at Acts chapter 2. Uh, you can find that Bible passage also on the online welcome card that you can access via our website. There's an outline of my sermon there as well, if that's helpful for you. Well, let's pray before we look at God's Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, look at your Word together. Uh, We do ask uh, that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our minds to understand it clearly, uh, that you would warm our hearts by the power of your Word and Spirit, uh, and that you would move our hands uh, to live in ways that honour and please our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, The French mathematician Blaise Pascal once observed that humanity is the glory and garbage of the universe. Now, I don't think you have to look that far to see how humanity is the garbage of the universe. For example, one in four Australian women have experienced some form of domestic violence in their life. It's just horrible. Indeed, one Australian woman tragically is killed every single week by their husband or partner. Millions of people are starving in some parts of the world, and yet in other parts of the world, people are having competitions to see how many hot dogs they can eat in a minute. 600,000 currently Afghani refugees are fleeing across Europe, across the world, in fear of the persecution and violence of the Taliban. And as I record this, four-year-old Cleo Smith is still missing in Western Australia. Let's face it, it's not looking good. I mean, it's pretty easy to see how humanity is the garbage of the universe. I'm sure you can think of your own examples. It's like there's, there's something not quite right with us. We're like a joint that's painfully dislocated, a song that's out of tune, a dance that's out of step, a vase that's just being shattered into pieces. And yet it's not as simple as that, is it? But Because at times, human beings are capable of glorious things. You know, the act of courage and bravery to rescue a drowning child. The nurse who you see caring for people in the isolated refugee camp. The people who are standing firm for peace and freedom and justice 
in the face of unjust and oppressive regimes. But in these situations, we get a glimpse of just how glorious humanity can be. It's as if in that moment, uh, the dislocated joint is put back in place. The dissonant tune is all of a sudden back in harmony. Uh, The disorderly dance is perfectly in sync. The destroyed vase is put back together. And this is kind of what we get in today's passage, right? It's not a glimpse of the glories of humanity in general. Uh, It's a glimpse in particular of the glory of God's glorious new humanity in his church. That's what the church is supposed to be in the big picture. It's what our church is supposed to be. We're supposed to offer people a glimpse of God's glorious new humanity, his humanity that is united under Jesus' Lord and is filled with the power of his spirit. We saw last week that the church, right, what I'm calling God's new humanity, is a community that is united under Jesus as Lord. Uh, if you've got your Bible open in Acts chapter 2, you can look back at verse 21 where Peter said that in these last days, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then after unpacking his argument, he clarified in verse 36 that that Lord is Jesus. He says, because God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. So in verse 38, Peter urged the crowds to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as a sign that they were uniting themselves with both Jesus and his people, living with Jesus as their Lord. A God's glorious new humanity, right, in the church, is united under Jesus as Lord. And it is filled with the power of his spirit. You might remember that last week I said that in chapter 2, Acts 2, verses 1 to 11, in the coming of the spirit, we're really seeing a wonderful reversal of the Tower of Babel episode in Genesis chapter 10. I remember at the Tower of Babel, sinful humanity proudly attempted to build a tower up to the heavens. It was all about them and their own strength, essentially saying, we don't need God. Well, we can get to heaven all by ourselves. So God came down in power at the the Tower of Babel to confuse their languages and to scatter them across the face of the earth. But of course, here in Acts 2, instead of sinful humanity proudly attempting to ascend into heaven, uh, we've got God in his spirit humbly descending to earth. But, and this time, when God comes down in power, instead of supernaturally dividing the nations by confusing their languages, he supernaturally unites the nations by enabling his people to speak the languages of the nations, those other tongues that we talked about last week. Right, this shows that God's purpose in sending his son, in sending his spirit, is to create a glorious new humanity, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-national community that is united under Jesus as Lord and filled with the power of his spirit. So it's really no surprise that in today's passage, Luke gives us a glimpse of that humanity of just how incredible it was, how glorious it was. Oh, well, we know that from uh, we know that from the following chapters, this early church was far from perfect. Uh, but in these verses, it does seem a bit idyllic, doesn't it? 
Right? Because Luke wants to give us a glimpse of just how beautiful and compelling and attractive God's new humanity is. Right? That's why Luke repeatedly uh, uses those words all or every in these verses. See, if you scan through the verses, you'll see in verse 43, he says, everyone was filled with awe. In verse 44, he says, uh, all the believers uh, were together and they had everything in common. In verse 45, he says that they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone in need. In verse 46, he says, every day they met in the temple courts. And in verse 47, uh, he says they enjoyed the favour of all the people. Well, Luke's purpose in these verses is to show us that God is doing something completely new in his people. Right? He's creating a glorious new humanity, united under Jesus as Lord and filled with the power of his spirit. Well, this is what our church should be like. Right? Not perfect. Like, oh, we know that we're not perfect, right? But still, giving people a glimpse, a taste of something different, something better, something glorious. So what are the marks in this passage of God's glorious new humanity? I think there are at least six. First, in verse 42, we see that God's glorious new humanity in this church is marked by devoted learning. Right, Luke says, uh, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, that word devoted themselves has, has the sense of uh, it's what they busied themselves with. It's what they attached themselves to even. Uh, so even though in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said to his apostles, uh, the spirit will guide you into all truth. Right, having been filled with the spirit, it's pretty clear that the spirit's not going to sort of bypass human teachers. Right, the spirit will work through human teachers. Right, so the apostles who Jesus had spent 40 days teaching from the scriptures, we saw in Acts chapter 1, now take up their responsibility of being teachers of the church. And it's a massive responsibility, isn't it? Well, remembering that, that just before this, 3,000 people had joined the church on the day of Pentecost. Right, that's a big school to be teaching. There are at least two implications of this for our church. First, contrary to what some people might tell you, uh, we don't have to choose between being a spirit-filled church and a word-filled church. Right? Here's a church that's just been filled with God's spirit and it's also filled with God's word, right? which makes perfect sense, doesn't it, when you remember that in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, Paul says that God's word in the Bible, in the scriptures, is, is literally breathed out by the power of his spirit. Right, God's spirit and word work together. Well, we don't have to choose between being a spirit church and a Bible church. Right, well, we should can and should pursue both. And which leads to the second thing, which is that there's no conflict between being spirit-filled and being taught by other people, by human teachers. Sometimes you might feel this yourself or you might hear someone say, well, I'm not sure I really need human teachers, right? The Spirit's kind of my teacher. I just have to read the Bible for myself. I'll work it out for myself. 
And of course, by the power of God's spirit, every single Christian can indeed read the Bible and be encouraged by it for themselves, right? Definitely not denying that. But this passage makes it clear that, that we've also got to humbly admit that we don't know everything, right? Well, we need to be taught by other people. And in this case, in particular, by teachers who've been trained and tested and appointed to that role, like in our church, pastors or elders or gospel community leaders, for example. So that together, as a community in Christ, we can learn and grow in our faith. Now, of course, this is something we're really passionate about here at DPC, right? It's why uh, we've appointed Pastor Adam as part of his role to oversee all the maturity ministries in our church. So as we return to in-person church in the coming weeks, we're really keen to prioritise this passion of ours so that together where we can be even more deeply grounded in and shaped by God's word. Well, what could that look like? For example, we'd love to help you find a personal plan for your Bible reading. You can find some examples on the Maturity Resources page of our website. We'd love to get you reconnected or connected with a gospel community. We'd love to point you towards some Christian books and resources that might encourage you. You can find at least some recommendations on the Book of the Month posts on our social media. As God's glorious new humanity in the church, we should be a community that is devoted to learning so that together we can be more deeply grounded in and shaped by God's words. Now, some of you probably think, well, that sounds all overly intellectual, uh, very academic. It's all about books. Right? Surely Christianity is more about relationships. But in this passage, where we see that this church that has a deep devotion to learning also has a deep devotion to loving community. Well, look in verse 42, Luke says, This church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship is speaking of the deep spiritual connection that exists between us as Christians. Right now, as we're united under the same Lord Jesus and filled with the same Holy Spirit. And Luke says that these Christians in the early church really devoted themselves to that fellowship. And in verse 46, where we see that that devotion was expressed in them breaking bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts. By right, breaking bread here, that doesn't mean they literally broke bread, or they probably did because it was a staple of the diet in this time. Uh, but it's really a, a metaphor for sharing meals, uh, for showing hospitality. Uh, because in this culture, if you really loved and valued someone, uh, the way you showed it was by welcoming them into your home and sharing a meal with them. And now I know our culture is a bit different. You might meet someone at a cafe in, instead of at your house, particularly during COVID. Right? But, but still, one of DPC's six passions is membership. But a whole bunch of people serving under Alicia Bransgrove's, Bransgrove's leadership to help our church be intentional about being a loving community, a, hospi a hospitable and welcoming community. And this has to be a real focus for us as we emerge from lockdown, right? Where we've been starved of this community. So even though I'm sure as you think about the weeks ahead, you've got a whole lot of people you want to catch up with, 
And no doubt you've got to take your socialising at a pace that's sustainable for you. In the coming weeks and months, we do want you to consider how you can reconnect with the other members of your church family. And maybe you could send someone a message this week, right, for, for no other reason than just to say, hi, I'm thinking of you. Maybe you could meet someone for a coffee, for a walk. Maybe you could have some people uh, over for lunch or dinner before or after church in the next month. And maybe you could set aside some time on November the 20th to have a picnic with some others from DPC. Check out the welcome card. The point is that a deep devotion to learning in our church should lead to a deep and loving community in our church. Third mark of God's glorious new humanity in this church is that they had a real sense of divine presence in their church. Look at verse 43. Luke says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, if you look back at Acts 2, verse 22, you see there that Jesus' teaching was accredited, was authenticated uh, by his performance of miracles. The the signs and wonders, as it were, assured people uh, that he was speaking authoritative words from God. Likewise here, the apostles who've been appointed by Jesus to teach are performing miracles, right, to authenticate their teaching. Right, to assure the early church that they were speaking authoritative words from God. Right, that, that purpose of these miracles is really important, right, because it tells us uh, that even though God is very much still able to perform miracles, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> very much still able to perform miracles, uh, we shouldn't expect that to be, I guess, the normal experience of every Christian community. Because we've got the words of the apostles written down in our Bibles, right? Well, we don't need signs and wonders to authenticate them. Having said that, there should still be a real sense of awe in our church gatherings, a real sense of God's presence in our church gatherings. Because the church isn't just some natural human organisation. It's a supernatural community in which God himself dwells by the power of his spirit. So as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 25, when we gather as God's people, people should be able to say, God was really among you. So as we return to to in-person church, let me ask, is that what you expect when we gather as God's people? Maybe this is something you could start praying for on your way to church. Well, we could all pray that when we gather as God's people, there'd be a real sense that we're hearing from God, that we're meeting with God, that we're encountering God. That we might be able to say to one another, God was really among us. Some of you might say, well, that's all very well, isn't it? But, But what about caring for the real needs of real people? We'll take a look at verses 44 and 45. That's also a mark of this church. They're a community that's absolutely committed to practically sharing with one another. Look at verse 45. Luke says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Uh, that word in common actually picks up the Old Testament distinction between things being holy and common. Rather, the idea being that, that no property or possessions in the church had the, had the status of being exclusively holy or, or set apart to particular individuals in the church. Right? In principle, everything was to be shared. Everything was in common. Which doesn't mean that there was no such thing as private property. Right? In verse 46, where we see that they met together in homes that, well, they presumably belonged to church members. They were their property. So clearly no one was forced to sell their property or their possessions. Right? This isn't some sort of kind of coercive communism going on. Right? The people were giving of their possessions freely, right? voluntarily. But still, there was a clear, uh, radical culture of practically sharing with one another in this church. Right? To, to ensure as far as possible that the needs of everyone were met. And then once again, this is something we try to give expression to in our church. We're passionate about it, right? That's why we appointed Joe and Joel and Gabby as deacons, right? Special servants who we've set aside uh, to care for the practical needs of our church. And not just for them to care for those needs, uh, but for them, along with all of our mercy team, uh, to mobilise our whole church to care for practical needs. So if you've got a practical need of some kind, please get in touch with one of our deacons. You can do that via their Elvanto page. Likewise, if you've got capacity to help meet people's needs, please get in touch with one of our deacons. A key mark of us being God's glorious new humanity is a commitment to loving one another, not just with our lips, not just with our hearts, but with our hands, by sharing with one another practically. Fifth, uh, God's glorious new humanity in his church was marked by joyful worship. In verse 46, Luke says uh, that when this church gathered together, they had glad hearts, uh, literally rejoicing hearts, even exalting hearts. By their church gatherings were characterized by deep and overflowing joy. And if we're honest, uh, this isn't something that typically characterises us Presbyterians. Moreover, we've got to remember that joy is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, Galatians 5, and we're a community that is filled with God's Spirit. So how do we promote this sense of joy in our gatherings? It's certainly not just by you know, putting on a happy face and pretending or clapping our hands every now and then. What Beck, Barry and I have tried to do over the years as we've thought about the structure of our church services uh, is we've tried to structure our services in a way that constantly reminds us of the gospel. Uh, because we're convinced uh, that it's as we're reminded of the gospel, that the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, uh, that our hearts will be filled with joy. I, thought, oh, I don't know if you've realised this, but, but we always start our services by reminding ourselves of the glory of God, right? praising God for his perfection, his holiness, his beauty. Uh, but then we move to, to reminding ourselves of the gravity of our sin, confessing that in comparison to God, well, we're just horribly sinful and messed up, deserving of God's wrath and judgment. 
You might say, well, how does that promote joy? It's just depressing. But it promotes joy because it's only when your heart is filled with true sorrow at the gravity of your sin that your heart will be filled with true joy at the grandeur of God's grace. As you contemplate the reality that in Christ God has lifted you up out of your helpless state and made you his beloved child, part of his beloved family, right? That's what brings joy. I reckon our church gatherings would be even more joyful if we all came to church prayerfully reflecting on the glory of our God, the gravity of our sin, and the wonderful grandeur of God's grace. As this church gathered for their joyful worship, Luke says in verse 42 that they were devoted to prayer. In fact, he literally says they were devoted to the prayer which tells us that he probably has in mind primarily their corporate prayers when they gathered for worship, not so much their personal prayer life. And once again, I wonder if people would say that our church is one that is devoted to prayer. I know we say a whole bunch of prayers in our church services, and no doubt people are praying in their gospel communities too, whether those are prayers in our gatherings. But I'm not sure people would look at our church and say, that's a church that's characterised by devotion to prayer. In part, that might be, in some ways, because of me, right? Because I'm someone who, well, I like to be productive and get things done. And over the years, just spending time, lengthy times in prayer, just well, it just doesn't seem that productive to me. Well, maybe, maybe that's rubbed off on our church to some degree. But recently, recently that's changed for me, right? In part because I've realised that praying more is actually good for my spiritual and emotional health. It's almost like God was onto something with that, right? But it's also because I've realised all the more deeply that the fruit that, that I want to see in our church, through our church, is fruit that only God is able to produce. I've got to be asking him to bring people to know Christ and to make people more like Christ. So as we return to in-person church, I wonder what you could do to to help our church be more devoted to prayer. Maybe you could message someone this week to ask how you could pray for them. Maybe when you're talking to someone after church, you could offer to pray for them for, for some situation in their life. Or maybe you could attend the monthly congregational prayer meeting. God's glorious new humanity was a worshipping community that was devoted to prayer. And in verse 42, we see that they were also devoted to the breaking of bread, as distinct, I think, from breaking bread in verse 46. This probably is referring to their sharing of the Lord's Supper in their worship. I've got to say, this is one of the things that I'm particularly looking forward to next Sunday. I suspect that many of us have been hanging in there okay without sharing in the Lord's Supper. But in his wonderful kindness, Christ has given us the Lord's Supper to help us to to look back with thankfulness, remembering that that he gave his life for us on the cross and to be still in the present with peace in our hearts, remembering that Christ promises to be with us when we share the Lord's Supper and to look forward with hope remembering that one day we'll eat and drink with Christ forever. By God's glorious new humanity, we're marked by their joyful worship. 
Finally, in verse 47, uh, we see that they were marked by what I've called missional growth, uh, which really means that the church was growing because new people were becoming Christians. Uh, look in verse 47. Right, Luke says that the church uh, was enjoying the favour of all the people. And now, I don't think Luke's literally saying that absolutely everyone was happy with the church. Well, we already know from verses 12 and 13 that, that certain people were mocking the church. But in general, Luke is saying that this was a period when the church had a great reputation in Jerusalem. People knew that the church existed. They could see that the kind of community life of the church, and they actually found that life really quite attractive. Well, these are the kind of things that the mission team here at DPC is thinking about. Well, the team's headed up by Martine Wilson and others. Well, we ask ourselves, does our local community actually know that our church exists? And if they do know that we exist, uh, do they actually ever get to see our church life together, our community? Uh, and if they do see our community, do they like it? Right? Do they find it attractive? Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if the answer to those three questions was yes? So that we increasingly enjoyed the favour of those around us. Not so that they'd think that we're great, but so that they'd think that Jesus is great. Whether they'd be eager to follow Jesus and join his people. And just like what happens in the second part of verse 47, right? Luke says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, this church was growing every day. Not because people were kind of transferring to it from the church up the road. Right? There was no church up the road. They were growing because people were becoming Christians. And notice that everyone, every person who becomes a Christian joins the church. Right? That, that's important. There's no belonging to Jesus without belonging to his church. And this is what I really long for for our church. Right? For our church to be growing all the more through new people coming to know Jesus. And all of us can play our part in that, right? You could start right now by praying for someone that you know who doesn't know Jesus. You could invite someone to church, right? Get them, let them have a taste of our community life. Let them hear more about Jesus. You, you could invite someone to the next course of Life Explored or Christianity Explored. You could speak to me or someone else from the mission team about uh, how you might read through a gospel with one of your friends. Like God's glorious new humanity is marked by missional growth, new people coming to know Jesus. I see, there's no doubt that, that we as human beings are, are, are the glory and garbage of the universe. We're just a mixed bag. And let's not pretend. Right? There's often a messy mix of glory and garbage in our church. But our church should at least give people a glimpse of something better. A glimpse of God's glorious new humanity that is united under Jesus as Lord and filled with the power of his spirit. A humanity that's attractive, that's beautiful, that's compelling, that's appealing. Because it's marked by devoted learning, loving community, divine presence, practical sharing, joyful worship and missional growth as new people come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we just ask, Father, that you would make our church all the more 
uh, a glimpse uh, of something glorious, of your glorious new humanity. Uh, and that as people uh, find our community life compelling and beautiful and attractive, uh, that they would be drawn to know Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.